0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
2: G'day everybody, welcome back to the podcast for another week. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. And then there were four. And look, probably not the four that many would have expected at the start of the final series. Well, I guess it probably depends on who you ask because the Blues and the Giants, who are admittedly two of the most informed teams since the midway point of the year, have come from the bottom half of the eight. And we'll now face off against the best two teams in the comp in the prelims. And how we got here? Well, we're going to talk you all the way through it, Jake.
0: Well, maybe Carlton and the Giants are the two best teams in the comp.
2: Well, that's why I said, depending on, on on who you ask and where you look, uh, just your immediate reaction to the weekend as a whole. I mean, two um, elimination final winners have now won the semis, meaning we've got two teams that have gone packing in straight sets.
0: It was it was wild, um, and you know putting my Carlton hat on for for a very short period of time. It was just unbelievable, and I think you would probably agree too. And I and I imagine you Christian would certainly be uh, close to this as well. But best game you ever watched as a Carlton supporter? <laughs> I mean, it's right up there. It was just unbelievable. The the drama, the emotion, um, the the roller coaster ride. And we've spoken about the whole roller coaster ride in the last you know eighteen months really. But that game. Um, sort of encapsulates everything about Carlton in that period and um, the resilience to get over the line in the end and that final sequence I think I've certainly watched it about 12 times the last two minutes just unbelievable and to make the last four and once again we said it um, and I wrote about it uh, going into that game it was a free hit for the Blues well it's even more so this week against um, a Brisbane side who will be under pressure and we'll, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later.
2: They'll obviously deserve their favouritism the Lions uh, given how they've performed at home this year but it does
0: bring with it that the weight of expectation, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, Brisbane's been... Brisbane might be the, the most consistent team of the last you know four or five years. I mean, they haven't won a flag. They haven't got to a, to a grand final yet, but they've always been there. And then the, the longer you're... Look at Port Adelaide. The longer you're around the mark without actually getting there, pressure just keeps on building. And Christian,
2: the Giants. I mean, this is a team where not many would have had them in, their, in, the, in the contention to make finals uh, under a first-year coach, but here they are finding themselves in a preliminary final. And you kind of... Um, look, credit to you. You had them improving this year drastically.
1: Yeah, exactly. I probably didn't see him going this far up the ladder, but they're just don't playing. That.
0: You can claim it. Claim yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and again, it's
1: it's playing, you know, what I'd like to call total football. They're sort of top two for points against and points for, which is a nice, simple way of looking at it. They don't get scored against and they score four. But yeah, since round 13, there's just a whole heap of stats and numbers that point to them being the informed team in the competition with not a clear weakness across their game at all. And yeah, pretty early on in that, on Saturday night, I found myself... Being, you know trying to be a neutral supporter I was barracking for GWS just the mm. way they started that first 25 minutes or so they were in the game and then they put the foot down in the second they quarter They looked like losing Obviously the commentators have to keep the game interesting and sort of want to push that Port comeback but I was watching it thinking it would be a huge injustice if Port Adelaide somehow got back to win that game just for how well GWS did just not in that first half, but how mm. well they've been going but for the last couple of weeks. But even when they got closer, weeks. it just
0: always felt like the Giants were a significantly better team. Jeez, yep. mm, uh, a
2: lot to get to. We're going to review the semis. We're going to preview the prelims. Uh, we're going to talk uh, all manner of things. Uh, but before we do crack into the main body of the pod, Jake, something you noticed from the week of footy?
0: Well, it seems like everybody noticed it, so it wasn't like a little niche uh, thing that I found. But um, and, and going back to that, that second... Uh, Semi final. Zach Butters when he was taking that shot for goal on the boundary, um, you know, throwing the kicking the chair away, throwing throwing the chair away, and and the the drink and kind of instructing the Giants' runner to get out of the way. I guess I wanted to throw it to you guys to sort of say what do you think of it. I'm I'm a bit in the camp of he's got every right to sort of have his space. The way he's gone about it is not right at all. And the other thing is they're down by I think it's five goals at that point. If he's up by five... If, if Port's up by five goals, is he doing that? Uh, that's a good is question. Is he just letting frustration... Because I think so. And, and it's not to... That's... You can't... That's not to justify the behaviour. I think it's a poor... I think he's entitled to have the space, but it's a really poor look and he hasn't done himself any favours by, by doing that.
2: Not often we agree so vehemently. But yeah, huh. I, think, I, think, you know, I think you're right. He's entitled to the space. The difference between a runner and a trainer, which I think the GWS person was, uh, is that the trainers do have their set locations that they start from. So... That but they are able to move. Of course they are metres. able to move, yes, of course they're able to move. But it's not like a runner has come over and just and occupied just the space there, yeah. to try and be yeah, a nuisance. Yeah. Um so I can kind of get, I guess, maybe in the in the heat of the moment the trainer's gone, Oh shit, what do I do here? Do I get out of the way? Do I do this? And and Butter's probably oh look fairly or unfairly hasn't had a lot of patience you know, given the, the, the time and given yeah. the situation of the game but I I feel like even when I'm under pressure at where I'm very different I know people are going to come for me on this but even when I feel like pressure you can still be a nice person you know and, and maybe not be so you're, like, you're constantly yelling at everybody
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you but no about? I think uh, I, I think it's one of those things that it doesn't it, it, it takes, you know, we always, we can say it takes a long time to build a reputation and yes. one little thing like that can damage it. And I think that people will look at him a little bit differently. Over he, he he would love to have these time again there, I reckon.
2: Potentially, potentially. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy.
1: Yeah, again, just trying to sort of look at what we spoke about, you know, the top two teams from all year, Brisbane and Collingwood, getting through to the final four. And then the two informed teams, GWS and Carlton, sort of coming from the clouds um, to get there. Sort of looked at one stat that sort of stacked up um, looking at round 16 onwards. So I'll touch on this stat for um, further on in the pod. About We'll talk about Melbourne and Port Adelaide with these sort of stats. But offensive efficiency. So again, that's just looking at for every 50 minutes the ball is in your forward half, no matter who has possession in, in that time. Just for every 50 minutes in your half, how many points do you score? Um, and the comp average is about, you know, sim- similar to the, the uh, scoring average, around 82, 83 points per game or per 50 minutes in your forward half. The top four teams since round 16 onwards for offensive efficiency, Collingwood, Brisbane, GWS a third, and Carlton fourth. So mm. it's the nice one stat where it's like, well, yeah, all four of those have got there by sort of getting there. We talk about defense being king, but yeah, all four of these teams have sort of got their offense sort of working well. I mean, Carlton's probably dropped off. If you if you put these numbers down to the last four or five weeks, I think Carlton dropped to the bottom two or three. But yeah, looking at round 16 onwards, it sort of stacks up nicely with the top four.
2: Well, maybe there's something in that. We talked about during their uh, their sort of insatiable run mid-year and how they dropped off since and we, we mentioned on this podcast a few times Melbourne how they were kind of there was this period where they were sort of we described it as treading water in some of these wins they weren't blowing teams away and then they had the injury so Petty goes down Melksham goes down so they probably weren't hitting finals as both both Port and Melbourne... Uh, timing's everything. They weren't hitting finals at, at the at peak power. Mm. Whereas you look at the Giants and Carlton, and you could make arguments that heading into finals, they
0: were starting to hit their straps. Well, look peak at the Melbourne power. forward line, and look at, like for example, the Port Adelaide defence. Mm. I mean, just holes. Decimated. Yeah, uh, yeah good point. Uh, something I noticed...
2: Look, I'm not normally one to bash other people or... <laughs> You know, organisations in the yeah, media. Little caveat. But have, <laughs> having now watched uh, the, the last quarter uh, of that Carlton Melbourne game a few times. As a, How as many times? Uh, the quarter? Yeah. Uh, five? The last two minutes? I reckon, I reckon I'm in double figures for the last <laughs> two minutes. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so what that does give me, and, and look, fully understanding that you get one shot at this live, but some of the the TV direction and the commentary at the time just didn't, befit the moment I feel um, you can you can look at uh, and I know that all these radio stations love to put out their vision over the top of uh, sorry the vision of like the commentators in the radio boxes over the top of the, um, over, the over the top of the actual play by play to sort of show their aspect of it mm. um, but TV is such an interesting one because you can see what's happening at the time and I think the great thing about finals in particular and especially when you've got such an emotionally charged final um, like Carlton Melbourne was on Friday night is that there's a lot to be taken from the atmosphere and the crowd. And I just don't feel like the, the direction and the commentary encapsulated and reflected that well enough. A lot of talking over big moments... Drowning out the crowd noise with superfluous detail that you don't need because you're watching the TV and just like cuts between shots where you're like, Blake Akers has taken this mark which could win Carlton the game. You go to this tight shot of him when he then turns around and plays on and you don't see where the kick goes and the camera's kept playing catch up. And so, you know, and then the commentator's
0: are, "Is he kicked a goal? I'm not too sure. And so there's this. The directing and, and the, the camera work has been a bit of a talking point. It feels like this very year, tight. Yeah, I know Rowan Rowan Connolly's been big on this as well. Yeah, in terms of it just not being up to scratch. And then the final siren, Brian Taylor—you know, big
2: moment, obviously—but he starts talking about Collingwood and just drowns out the, the the crowd noise, which is one of the most guttural, noisy roars you've ever heard. I feel like you can just—I admit—I
0: think I was just basking in the celebration so much, I completely that just—I didn't even notice that.
2: So I think finals is a different kettle of fish, and and this is something I don't normally agree with Eddie Maguire, but he nailed it on his podcast that he does with with Jimmy Bartel Uh, in that you just got to respect the moment a bit more Mm. Abby Holmes comes onto the ground charging onto the ground immediately after the siren you see her in the background of one of the shots of Vossi celebrating goes up to Patrick Cripps the song's playing in the background there's there's 70,000 Carlton fans singing the song and and you've got Abby trying to hold a microphone to Patrick Cripps and Cripps can't hear what you're saying there's just this like a lack of respect for the moment of the finals and I feel like it could have been done a whole lot better Mm. and like Eddie Maguire said not to, to to reiterate his point word for word, but hopefully it's a bit better for the prelims.
0: Yep, don't necessarily disagree. Um, Don't have much more to add, to be honest.
2: Get that out of the way nice and early. Uh, So Carlton, yes, into a prelim at the expense of Melbourne. So bowing out in straight sets, just a a caveat. I do like straight sets as a a bit of a footyism. Mm. I know it's not technically a footy footyism. We've got to
0: bring that back, like the top (laughs) 10 footyisms. (laughs) The one would. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so straight sets for the second
2: consecutive season for the Ds. Look, major, major disappointment. And you talk about a team that was
0: flying. So, you know, a premiership winner two years ago, and then since then haven't won a final. Not only have they not won a final, I mean, they, when they won that flag uh, in 2021 over in Perth against the Dogs, smashed them in that game, we weren't just talking about our Melbourne you know, Premier. It was, this is the next dynasty. This team, they are prime for success. You even go
1: back one week to the prelim, so the the way they smashed Geelong in that prelim as well. So they just had an irresistible run in that final series. But they mm. had yeah a, a ninety or hundred point win against Geelong in the prelim, and then as you said, just smashed the Ten Bulldogs. And-
0: to not have won a final, like if you said they won't won't win a final in the two years, that, no one would believe you. And so, and it's w- not like they have they've just fallen off and they haven't been there. They've been they're still been one of the dominant teams in that period of time. Mm. Um, but they're falling short um, in September. And, and we did talk about how they are
2: significantly undermanned, especially in the forward line, and they did have those issues, the connection issues, the inside 50 numbers were just off the charts and all that kind of stuff, but they did have their chances. And I want to ask you, Jake, in particular, a lot of the the, the talk afterwards was, how the hell did Carlton win that game? Mm. Uh, and, and Melbourne, 9-17 on the evening. What proportion, of, if you were to sort of throw a bit of a blanket over it, what proportion of the match was Melbourne lost it and
0: Carlton won it. 50-50. I really do think that and I was a little bit disappointed maybe because it was me being a Carlton supporter and it felt like other people were taking away from my club's achievement. But the whole narrative in the the evening and the next and since then has been Melbourne lost that game. Melbourne, yes, you look at the final score and you'll see 9-17-11-7. Melbourne kicked Behind, how many though? You can count on one, three, three fingers really. How many they miss that you think, gee, they would kick that another day? It wasn't like they were just missing shot after shot from ten out directly in front. The other thing is, how many kicks in the third quarter did Carlton have going inside fifty that were straight to the opposition? So yes, Melbourne it was on the score that they were kicking these behinds. Carlton they didn't even give themselves those opportunities, so they were shooting themselves in the foot going up the other end. There were at least four in that third quarter alone. Kicks inside fifty that weren't even weren't just missed a target. They missed it. They there were twenty meter kicks that were missing targets by fifteen meters.
2: Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, something we've done on this podcast is looked at the key stat from every game and where the game was won or lost. What was champion data's takeaway from this match? Was it was it? You, do you look at the stats and you go, yeah, Melbourne fluffed this opportunity, or it was Carlton nailed their chances, or
1: where does it lie somewhere yeah, in between? It it does lie somewhere in between. So. Melbourne did win a lot of the key stats, but in saying that, it's it's one more inside 50, um, a handful more contested possessions, and Carlton had a slightly more uncontested possessions. But you do, you look at, again, when we talk about the ability to score and where you're scoring from, um, so you look at, you know, scores from stoppages, Melbourne was plus three. It was five goals, three to five goals. So nothing too uh, sort of out of whack there, but scores from turnover, Carlton won 42-37. But you look at the actual scoring shots, Carlton was six six, so generated 12 scoring shots from turnovers, 413 for Melbourne, so the 17 scoring shots. So when you go, again, we talk about expected scores being a good coaching tool. You look at where Melbourne have generated, you know, the amount of sh- shots and you know that they've generated from back half or forward half especially, arms, mm. um, another big one. So I think they kicked... One goal five from chain starting in their forward 50. So that's the, the sort of the easiest chain to start. You win the ball back either at a stoppage or yeah, yeah. intercepting your own forward 50. Almost um, a sense of
2: panic, like, we've got the ball here, Yeah, just throw it on the you boot. Know, you know
1: you're going to score, so they, they yeah, yeah. sort of won it back 11 times for six scores, but again, one goal five. Carlton only won it back three times for two behind. So again, Carlton weren't sort of locking the ball in their forward half. Um, and dominating that way. But again, one of the stats that does come out in Carlton's favour is scoring from back half and transition. So Carlton were able to score 38 points going end-to-end from either defensive 50 or defensive midfield. Again, you, you look at that, it's three goal, it's six goals, two that they scored um, compared to 24 points for Melbourne, who scored three goals, six from that, th- from that position. So coming from the, the back half of the ground. So... Felt that Carlton did have a little, again, a, the team's just coughing up those on, unforced turnovers up and down yeah. the ground. But Carlton did sort of have that transition game just slightly at bay for most of the game. They were able to go into end, end a little bit more. But again, it's it again. when we looked at the Collingwood-Melbourne game and for, again, you take out the first 20 minutes and Collingwood were absolutely smashed in that game. It's probably not the same for Melbourne-Carlton. It was just more the, yes, two or three of those behinds turn into goals and, and Melbourne clearly wins the game. Uh, But again, there's just no one clear stat where Carlton can sort of, again, go into the prelim and say, hey, this is the number that we did well one week. We've got to, to, you know, uh, sort of reproduce that this week. Yeah. Carlton sort of were very lucky and I said it it's probably one of those games where as an analyst you can't sort of use this as you know because there's no number for this but it was it was about taking the moments and I felt like as a Carlton supporter in that second half they they took their moments and Melbourne probably just missed their moments
2: so I've got this written down on the run sheet here game of moments and you can look at it in the last sort of five or six minutes in particular these had their chances so the Oliver shot where Gorn is on the line and and inexplicably I mean you could probably make the argument he's trying to um, he, he thinks it's going to fall short and he needs to keep it in, mm. in play um, but he touches it over the line. Then there's this moment where th- th- there's a turnover and Kaiser well, picks the it up. Pocket. Yeah, yeah. It ter-
0: turns the wrong way and Petrarca's open on his right foot going yeah. the other way. And Petra- and, and Pickett's taken a, sh- a flying shot from goal from the boundary. Surprise, surprise! Um, once again, just burning teammates, and we've seen it. It's been a constant theme, and we everyone wants to praise him when uh, when the ball goes through. But it happens far more often than not, and everyone loves to give. Bailey fritch a bit of stick for this but Casey Pickett is a serial offender. Mm. Um, but but with that said if that ball does bounce through we talk about these moments and you, it's Spot a complete on. reversal and we're saying oh you know Carlton they missed this chance and they didn't do this and it's so I think it's it's very unfair on Melbourne to nitpick every single thing. And as I said I don't think there were there were a dozen clear cut chances that they missed. There were a couple of 50-50 shots the Gorn snap from the pocket um, and that picket snap. I mean, when Oliver was lining up from 55, I didn't think he had the. Di- I didn't think he had the distance, and he actually looked like he barely kicked through the ball. Um, so it, it, yeah, I, I tend to think that we are a little unfair on Melbourne. That's fine. But even
2: in so that was in attack. But even in defence, in, in the last two minutes, even there were there were moments. You talk about Lever takes the mark, needs to ice the game, but has to kick long to a, a contest. So Carlton yeah. obviously did well to, to man it up. Loose ball there. Um, there was Viney, Viney had the ball, and he was all another he needed, one that all burned he needed to do, All he needed to do was either find Petrarca and get the kick over or the back, kick it or over. kick it a metre either side of Jacob Wiedering. Yeah. Instead, Wiedering gets the ball. He takes the the ballsiest kick I think he's kicked all year. Don't think he kicks that six months ago. Hollins gets the ball, kicks it to Doherty, who six months ago, if that was a mid-season game, Carton would have subbed him out at half-time with a dislocated shoulder. Uh, McVie just can't quite either... Man the See, mark properly, was, or he overcommits, and yeah. you know, you don't want to burn a young player like that um, for, for his decision, but you just get the feeling he's not going to do that again. Oh, he'll, that was, he'll take that the was man.
0: extremely costly. He didn't need to take the mark or he, or spoil the ball, all he needed to do was just hold, hold up hold his ground. Yeah. And then, at best, Carlton's getting a shallow uh, inside 50. And, and all, all of a sudden, a there's and this and half to go.
2: three moments, and Carlton have kicked a winning goal. And, and yeah, you talk about a bit of luck involved, uh, sometimes you need to take that, and especially in low scoring,
0: dogged finals. Be completely honest. Um. well two things did you think Akers kicked that goal <laughs> I was a bit nervous I had to I wasn't celebrating until I saw the goal umpire signal and secondly what was there left 54 50, seconds yeah. or something yeah. I still felt it was a real coin flip at that point. Did, uh, I was
1: not I was oh, not so. Definitely, yet. and I, I did say to my son as soon as they could kick the goal, I said, the next 50 seconds, it's in, it's in 50 pos- seconds' time, it's going to be the greatest moment of our lives or <laughs> yeah. the worst moment of our yeah. lives.
2: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so they got the secondary stoppage, they send numbers back, and uh, the, other, the rest is history. So. The other
1: little one I noticed, they got the bounce wrong so we did lose the 2 I know, seconds i yes. told you about this i thought there was a whole sort of unwritten rule that they wouldn't bounce the ball late in games to lose mm. valuable seconds i mean it was only 2 seconds um i just want
0: to call a grand final.
1: okay anyway
2: so carlton now travels to the gabba to take on brisbane just, just
0: before we move on just before we move on from from this i just want to just have a little discussion on christian Petrarca Yes. because and i i hate reacting to what other people in the media say and i it, i don't want to fuel fuel that so to speak but there was a there was a comment or a narrative going last night from Kane Corns that Christian Petrarch is not a top echelon player that we can't continue to look at look at him as a superstar of the game, and I think it might be one of the worst takes of the year in all seriousness. And I know we've he he was we've mentioned what he said about Tim Toronto um, and various other things, but. To not have Christian Petrarca as one of the top players in the league is just ridiculous. He's comparing him to Toby Green. For one, that is a totally different player <clears throat> playing yep. in a different position. He's saying the guy sprays the ball worse than any other elite player in the game. Well, he actually has a better disposal efficiency this, this year. Significantly better than Green. It's better than Errol Goulden, who everyone raves about as one of the best ball users in the league. And it's pretty much on par with Bontempelli, who might be, might win the Brownlow this year. Uh, he's implied that Petrarca needs to start setting up his teammates more in the mould of Toby Green. Well, Petrarca's led the league this year in score involvements. Last year he ranked second, year before that he was first again. No players had more score involvements than Petrarca in the last uh, four seasons. And he's had the third most direct goal assist. So I don't know what he wants this guy to do more. He, he's overreacting massively to one game. We, only, we go back to that grand final we spoke about just before. He, that was one, maybe the best grand final anyone's ever played
1: yeah 39 disposals in that grand final and yeah just absolutely smashed the Bulldogs and everyone thought geez this guy's going to be unstoppable so yeah, and I, think it was, I can see where he's going and again I, we spoke about this you know continuously on the podcast I think every player has their weakness it's just how much you want to harp on that one I don't think there's a, there's a perfect player in the in the competition at the moment the, real,
0: no. the reality is he's an inside contested player that is that, and that's we've seen in Patrick Dangerfield his absolute best was his disposal efficiency was in the mid to high 60s. Like, you, what do you want, this guy to hit every single target 100% when he's got two players hanging off him? Not to foreshadow it too much, but we will have a Brownlow edition of the podcast coming
2: later this week as well. And mm. we have seen some of the numbers where we're going to... Well, a little, little spoiler here, but we are going to try and do sort of similar in the mould to the Premiership Standards Report, a Brownlow Standards Report. And you look at winners from previous years, and they have been strong in some areas, and they are weak in others. It's just the reality is you're not going to have, as, as you described it, a perfect player.
0: Yeah, so look, not to not to smash him too much, but I think it's just ridiculous. Just, just a little bit. He was my number one player going into the season. Look, and I've already started putting some players' names down for for this exercise for next year. I mean, he's going to be in the top five yet again. There's no doubt about that.
2: Mm, fair enough. Uh, Kane, feel free if you're listening to uh, respond to Jake at Footy Tips on Twitter. Uh, like I said, Blues going to Brisbane, like going to the Gabba, where Brisbane have not lost this year. So there's a little bit of. Um, I don't know. Going into the lion's den is kind of a saying that makes a bit of sense here. Uh, Brizzy will be wanting to probably make this a high-scoring affair, you would feel, given how well they play on that track and how Carlton have sort of struggled to score in recent weeks. And they'll be looking to take this out of Carlton's control pretty early. Um, There are a lot of ways and a lot of places we
1: can start with this little preview. Christian, anywhere in particular you want to begin. So it's probably the the game styles so we we speak about score sources and you know probably speak about clearances and turnovers a lot and you know nearly every week or every second game when I do my key stats the the clearance or turnover game will, will appear in that either of the points generator or just how, how well on top of those games you are the two different game styles at the moment later in the season so we know Brisbane all year I think they they still finished as the number one scoring team from turnover so they were able to punish an opposition turnover better than any other any other team I think it was 24% um, of opposition turnovers that resulted which, which in goes a Brisbane score,
0: exactly what we've just seen with the D's. It's yeah, a totally different equation for for Carlton this weekend in yeah. terms of being punished for those turnovers.
1: Yeah, and a little bit. So again, they they did that all year, and they stay, they finished number one at the end of the home and around home and away rounds, and are still number one. But it's that switch. So round one to eighteen, it was really a high turnover game for them. So you look at since round nineteen onwards, and the Lions have actually they're matches have had the fewest turnovers of any team so again that's combining you and your opposition just how many times is the ball changing hands it's since round 19 maybe a little bit to do with the opposition probably looking at Brisbane's profile in the first 18 rounds going well they're so strong at turnover let's just try to make it a more of a clearance and a scrappy game so since round 19 uh, Brisbane's involved in the second most stoppages per game Um, but then again they've sort of adapted themselves so as I said round one to 18 they were number one for points scored from turnovers since round nineteen onwards, they've dropped to uh, I think it was yeah, seventh for scoring from turnovers, but they're now number one for points generated from clearances. So opposition have brought this stoppage game into into Brisbane, and Brisbane has sort of responded by going, Well, okay, we can't score off the turnover game anymore. We'll just we'll just blast you out of clearances. They That's got the number one clearance differential and then the best at scoring from clearances. Carlton in the last, again, looking at round nineteen onwards. Carlton have had the most, uh, sorry, the second most turnovers of anyone across their game. So only Sydney's had more. So you, you even think about the two finals of Carlton what we're just talking about with Melbourne, the, the unforced turnovers and the ball just continually changing hands and just mm. trying to sort of get that little, you know, trying to get it into your forward 50, but you're probably going to turn it over when you get there, but try to win it back quicker coming out the other way and just try to sort of, you know, turnover to turnover to turnover. So it's the way Carlton's been playing. Um, but again, it hasn't been sort of... Um, a strength of Carlton so they've actually ranked 17th for scoring from turnover in that time so they're yeah. playing a really high turnover game not punishing it with a score uh, they're sort of you know they're okay at protecting I think they're the 6th best team at protecting their own uh, turnover from going to a score but again it's one of those interesting ones that Carlton have played a really high turnover game which Brisbane haven't experienced for 5 or 6 weeks but we know that Brisbane that for the first eighteen rounds, we'll mm. be able to handle so this style. So, ways. again, yeah, it'll be one that I, I don't think Carlton will be able to dictate how the game's played anyway. But well, I think Carlton I would say. want a little bit more chaos and a lot of, you know, they'll want the ball changing hands a lot. You don't get that a lot in Brisbane games. If you make if you become a turnover game against Brisbane, they're so efficient that they'll they won't turn it back over to you and they'll score. If you try to go in and make it a clearance stoppage game, they've got some of the best clearance ball winners in. So the So what
0: conference. you're saying is Carlton have no very change. little. Change. Again, well, <laughs> again, I.
1: The first final, when I looked at Port Adelaide playing Brisbane, I found it very hard to make a case for Port Adelaide. Second Can you make week,
0: a bigger case for Carlton than you could for Port? N-
1: probably not. And again, Gee. a lot of it is to do... And again, I'll, we'll, we'll probably speak about this when we talk about GWS. We, we know Carlton and GWS are coming in with that long form of 10 to 12 weeks. They've been the best team. But if you look at the last four weeks... Carlton are really just sort of scratching their way through. They're fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, in a lot of stats that GWS are first, second, and third in. So mm. hard to make a case for it, but it is. It's going to have to be. It's going to have to be scrappy for Carlton to have to have a chance. It's, if it's if it's up and back transition game, Brisbane's probably going to have the have the strength. I think the key uh,
0: for the game is Lockie Neal. I mean, no surprise there. He's Brisbane's best player. Uh, he's one of the best players in the sport. He is the key in the midfield, and you. Might be su- might be surprised, may not be surprised, but I want to throw this to you guys. In games in the last two years, that he has tallied thirty-two disposals. How many times do you reckon they've they've won? He's done it
1: sixteen times. See, I feel like he's one of those players that just gets it, no yeah. matter whether they win or lose. Yeah. So, yeah. Well,
0: he's sixteen. They're sixteen and zero. When he has thirty-two disposals, he's sixteen and zero. You go back to the start of twenty twenty, when he's had thirty-two disposals. They're twenty-two and one. So they're winning on pretty much every single time he gets thirty-two. Now it's not to say keep him to thirty-one or fewer, and you're going to win the game. But in again, in the last two years, when he has had twenty-five or fewer, they're nine and seven. So you, they're a little bit better than 50-50. So Carlton's got to put time into him. He sets everything up. He's their clearance king. He's the ground ball king. He mm. he, he does. He's all the contested stuff. So, so they go- send George Hewitt. To it's got to be George Hewitt. I think th- I think that is the the first. First tactic, part of the tactical meeting for Michael Voss and, and the coaching staff at Carlton is, we what are we doing with Lockie Neal? And I think the obvious candidate is George Hewitt, who's done these roles in the past. Um, and I think you just have to make him accountable. And look, it's not to say that that is going to guarantee a win. We saw Willem Drew do it for Port um, in yep. the qualifying final, and they were well beaten. And he, and he kept Neal to 19 touches. But I think if you allow Neal to get 35, you're no chance. Whereas if you can try and restrict his influence to 60-70% of what it can be, you, you might find yourself in the game with a quarter to go and then you start talking about the pressure on Brisbane. Charlie Curno
2: is another factor in this game. In the finals, he's kicked one goal in each of his finals and since he wrapped up the Coleman uh, in round 24, he's uh, kicked just, well
0: that's it, just the two cents. So so, so he's an interesting one. So. We've spoken about players like Cripps and Wietering and and Curnow having not played finals and finally getting that taste for it. Wiedering's been sensational. Cripps we know he's battling injury but has still been really good as well. Kerno has been he hasn't been bad but he hasn't been and and obviously he's had to play a game without Mackay who's very important for him. But he's been a bit underwhelming considering he's a back-to-back uh, Coleman medalist. Pressure's to own, on him, I think. To own, to, yeah, to pressure's a on. Bit. If he plays another underwhelming game, he'll have played three. Pretty average finals, and I think there is, you know, this is a fact. It's not an opinion. He has beaten up on the lesser teams. So against against sides that have finished that finished bottom ten this year, he averaged four point one goals a game, and against sides that played in September, he averaged two point one. So that's a that's a big difference.
2: Yeah, pressure's on him. Uh, he probably will have Makai. Speaking of Makai, he'll come back in because I yeah. think they are a better combo than what people who. They are, yeah, and we saw the, well, we saw they, against yeah.
0: against the D's. I mean, every time he's flying for the ball, he has, he's got three guys he's trying to compete with. Mackay works up the ground well as well, becomes a link
2: guy. He had, I think until he was subbed out, that's, we were talking about the stat for me, yeah. the
1: seven score involvements when he got subbed out in that game, which was leading, the, leading, leading Carlton. The so he had the two shanks and two behinds that everyone remembers <laughs> that you know, he's a head case in front of goal. He's still valuable <laughs> to getting a score on the scoreboard yeah, for Carlton. Uh, Martin has to come back in, I think, as well. So you've got to drop two for the Blues. I
0: so think so the Ma- Lions Ma- Ma- go in unchanged. Lions, yeah. Unless Jack uh, Payne can't get up, but it seems like he'll be okay. Carlton will no doubt be bringing back Mackay and uh, Martin Kennedy. And last one in, last one out. I think Holland's on the wing as a sub is a great idea still. Yeah, but th- then then does Holland's play? Does Holland's is Holland's in the starting team? I I don't think you can make. You don't want to be making three plus changes going to a prelim. I can't imagine that's happened too much where teams are making three changes <laughs> going to a prelim. But I think the the other two are just. They were, were forced changes for the semi though so two yeah. of those you kind of um, anyway but you can't tinker too much I mean you can you can analyse it and sort of say oh you can make five changes but you're not doing it. the other thing is and this is another story I mean you've got Crips, you've got Weedering you've got Doherty you've got um, Mackay and Akers there's a quarter of the team that are banged up in some way Yeah, you know there, there's whether it's shoulders or knees or concussion or whatever it is there's there's half the, there's a quarter of the team that have that are battling niggles, um, and then you compare it to Brisbane and and rightly so they they earn the the week off. Mm. They're as fresh as can be. So if you haven't gathered that the Blues are up against it going
2: into Brisbane, uh, history is also against both the Blues and and the Giants. So teams that have made the prelim from outside the top four in the last few years Uh, last year Brisbane lost the preliminary final by 71 points in 2021 the Dogs lost the grand final by 74 points 2019 the Giants lost the grand final by 89 points in 2018 Melbourne lost their preliminary final by 66 points and in 2016 of course the Dogs managed to win the grand final but recent history has shown that it can be a bridge too far when it is a bridge too far for these bottom of the top eight sides it's very very far
0: yeah, well, I didn't know you had those numbers, but they are quite stark. Are we going to do a... a that kind of leads into a bit of a prediction. Are we going to do a prediction? Uh, now or later. Now, go on. Yeah, quick. I think now... Well, I did like I said, I didn't know you were going to provide that, but I really do... I don't think it's going to be... Uh, I don't think it's going to be particularly close if Brisbane win. I think it's more like... I think it's either going to be Carlton by single figures or Brisbane by 55-plus. And I think it's going to be Brisbane. I think it's going to be Brisbane with about 58 points.
1: Yeah, um, not as ho- not as far as you, but yeah, probably about five goals Brisbane. With the way I see it playing out, is yeah, close for maybe two and a half quarters, three quarters. Brisbane just to get two or three in a row, and just and sort of I think run they away just break it, from it. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing. It's not to say that they're going to kick the first nine goals of the game. I, I think that if they're up by six, and they kick, they kick a backbreaker in the fourth quarter, they could kick three or four late. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, lose by eight.
2: Blake <laughs> Akers kicks the winner.
0: <laughs> I imagine that. That never happened. The before. sealer.
2: <laughs> Uh, The Orange Tsunami. Jeez, we better turn our attention to these blokes because they are on fire. Uh, Keeps on rolling. And as we foreshadowed somewhat, the Giants were too strong for Port Adelaide, as we kind of predicted last week, uh, at Adelaide Oval on Saturday night. Continuing to build momentum. And I I feel like they've got this, like, chip on their shoulder of somewhat. And I, I really like it. It's not like you're your typical sort of chip on the shoulder. But it's it's building a bit of a culture of why not us, this resilience of winning on the road. So 11 venues they've talked about uh, embracing the challenges of playing against hostile crowds against, you know, or having to get on planes every week and, and being the underdog week to week. So they're kind of riding this emotional wave. Mm. You talk about Carlton riding an emotional wave throughout finals. The Giants seem to be doing this as well. And having spoken to a few Collingwood supporter fan friends of mine, they are... Uh, Petrified yeah. of playing the Giants compared to Every the prospect Every supporter I know
0: was rooting
2: for the power. Yeah. So there, this is this interesting conundrum where you've got the top team in the league, had the week off, won their qualifying final, coasted into a prelim.
1: Getting their best
2: player back. Yeah, Nick Dacos straight in, probably for Taylor Adams, sw- straight swap. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden there's this big, big sound coming from the west of the town. Uh, and the and the Giants pose this this almost sort of hard to quantify, but but we'll get you to quantify it a little bit. You talk about how they've been really good in a number of stats since sort of round 19. Mm. Um, this hard to quantify, this emotional wave. And Adam Kingsley has harnessed this group and the veterans. And I, I, you know, veteran is a, is a term I like to use lightly when you're talking about guys like Steve Canelio, who's 29. Uh, but you know, Cal Ward, Josh Kelly is putting good numbers up. Um, Lucky Whitfield averaging
0: career highs in disposals. He's squeezing the Lockie most Witt, out of this Lockie group. Lockie Whitfield is an is an interesting one for me because I thought he looked he looked done a, a year or two. He was yeah. just not the same player he was. But he's bounced back. Well, the whole the whole group has broadly uh, have bounced back and they've and
2: they've they've rightly won their way into a prelim and and have Collingwood fans scared. Uh, yeah. Well,
0: they never they never looked they never looked in doubt in that in that semi final against Port. We spoke about that off the top, but yeah. it was it was a dominant performance, and they really should have won by more.
1: Yeah, and again, one of the things that they've sort of changed in their game so they were very much on the ball movement and sort of working out their turnover game for the first part of the year, I looked at, um, so last week, I mean, they smashed Port Adelaide out of the clearances. They scored 58 points from clearances, equal most for them in a game this year. But they've done that three weeks in a row now, So round, or three out of the last four weeks, around so 23 against Essendon. They scored 56 points from clearances. Elimination final against St Kilda was 54 points straight out of the clearances and then 58 again against Port they only did. They only reached fifty in one other game this year, and that was round thirteen earlier in the season against North, where they had a pretty big win um, and scored fifty-eight points from clearances. So again, being able to change the dynamic and the way they've played and sort of gone well, we're a very good turnover team, very good front half turnover team. They don't they mm. they look it in quite well, but almost their last, especially in the finals, their two victories have really been set up by the clearance players, and it's the guys you mentioned. It's Tom Green to Canelio out to Kelly to Whitfield running past, and it's a very again it's it's one of those processes that you can see him repeating over and over again like I said about Carlton it's a lot of chaos and it's a lot of luck and a lot of sort of heart and effort into it GWS have a turnover game that sort of stacks up the last four weeks their clearance game mm-hmm. is now just irrepressible it's just unstoppable um, so you look at that and, and you sort of think well it, clearly they're the team that of the of the two that have come from the bottom eight I think they're the, they're the team that's had their good form going and and they've gotten even better in the finals. Whereas I said, Carlton's good form is probably a lot of those green numbers that they were were rolling with towards the end of the home and away season have turned to red and bottom four numbers in the finals. The scoring's really dried up. GWS have just kept the momentum going. So sort of comparing the two, just looking at the last four games they've played. So um, all of these are percentages so you can still compare it to the teams that are out of it. But Giants, fourth for scores per inside 50. Carlton, 15th. Um, Giants are... Second for forward fifty marks, Carlton are eighteenth. Inside fifty differential, fourth for the Giants, eleventh for Carlton, time in forward half, fourth for the Giants, fourteenth for Carlton. Contested possessions, Carlton's third, still the num like, still that's their I'll use it. That is their one wood. Band. Um I'll get that out of the way for the one for the pod. <laughs> Hopefully I don't use it again. But that that's their strength, that's what What's they want their to do. Three wood? <laughs> so so they're uh, as I said, they're third in contested possession differential Carlton GWS are number one. So even in Carlton's greater strength, GWS are better. Yeah, right. Uh, four or fifty marks against their number one, so they don't concede any marks down back. Carlton are eighth, and and then just looking at converting a clearance to a score, GWS are the third best. Carlton fifteenth converting an intercept to a score, GWS third best. Carlton sixteenth. So just comparing those two in the last four weeks, it's like the Giants have a. As I said, it's it's a easily sort of uh, repeatable process from that they've, they've mm. been doing it week in week out whereas Carlton have sort of had to rely on different things each week to get over the line yeah
2: well the Blues have had, had personal issues so p- players coming back you talk about Sam Walsh had a lot of time off um, you know Kennedy came in last week All, you know, there's, there's been a bit of personnel change but you look at the Giants broadly mm. and this is a group and a core in the midfield and the names we were talking about before with the exception of Tom Green who have been playing together for a decade yeah. so yes you bring in a new coach and new philosophy and all that but in terms of the chemistry within that group uh, you can tell that they are just on, uh, you know, in, in sync and-, and on the same page and the question I want to put to you Jake is how much of um, especially Saturday night's game do you kind of look at the Giants and, and what they did well, but also the fact that the power was limping into this prelim. And they were chronically underdone in the back line. They were chronically undersized in the back line. They weren't helped by midfielders who, who weren't running both ways. I just feel like they were, they were beaten and beaten well on the spread. And that's obviously something the Giants like to do well is move the footy. Um, but it was a lack of defensive running from some of the guys that you, you wouldn't really sort of suspect would be, um, would be lacking that. Dixon came, came in for one of his first games in, a, in about a month and only had
0: six touches like the power were right for the picking though. Mm. and we spoke about this from I mean you go back to late in the later in the season when uh, Carlton snapped from the moment Carlton snapped their 13 game winning streak, they played a they played Collingwood really close in in what was probably the game of the season in my mind um, in Adelaide they lost that by a couple of points. But outside of that, they they didn't have too many strong performances. Um, they beat they beat some lesser teams, but it wasn't like they were nowhere near the side that they that had elevated them to co favourites for the premiership at sort of the two third point of the season. Um, we spoke about their defensive issues, and I remember Christian said going into finals, you know, the teams that are there, which ones do you, do you not believe in? Based on what the stats tell you and the the amount they were they were conceding they yeah. were coughing
1: up um, defensively
0: defensively whether they had personnel there or not was just way too much.
1: So I think it was the same at the end of the home and away season, but they now finished the season as they were the fourth easiest goal to kick, fourth easiest team to kick a goal against once you got the ball inside fifty. And as I said, the three teams below them West Coast, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, yeah, they were um, the only teams that were easier to score a goal against. So yeah, it, it was not a defensive profile that was going to get them too far. It was it's got to be the. I mean, it's stating the the obvious, but it's got to be a, a significant
0: priority in this offseason.
2: Well, that's what they have yeah. already. It, in ha- paid, it has
0: so to. Sava Radigalia linked.
2: Um, Brandon Zuck Thatcher as well linked. So they are looking at addressing those. Yeah. Those posts, so, um, and
1: I think again, they probably need to not lose sight of you. You're bringing in those players, which are going to make your back six harder to score against. But they were also, and again, a lot of this was to do with where the ball lived It lived in Port's forward half territory. But they were also 18th for generating scores from the back 50 across the year, and they were 18th for conceding scores from the back 50. So teams were able to go end to end against them and score. That's part of your defense. Is that because you they're not turning it over to give themselves the opportunity? A, a to little go bit, forward? but it's also they weren't a strong end-to-end transition team either so you're going to add in a lot of top heavy defenders Mm. and yes you're going to stop a score but you've also got to fix that issue of generation you need some ball movement and and some fast ball movement from the back half rather than relying on that slow forward half lock it in and let's score that way need to need to play some pretty footy you sort of want to call it from the back half which they haven't been able to do consistently
0: back on the giants can they beat the Pies? Oh, they absolutely can, and I think there's a lot of parallels between the Giants in 2023 and the Bulldogs in 2016 when they obviously uh, won the flag. So they both they they had good home and away seasons without being great. They both finished seventh. They both had to travel. Obviously, had to travel in finals, and they but they embraced that travel and they sort of thrived as the underdog on the road. Um, not getting ahead of ourselves. We've got two tough games to go, but they feel. They feel in a position that no other club's been in since the Dogs in 2016 in the sense that they feel like they can do this. Um, If there was a team that could, I think it is these Giants. And like we said before, Collingwood fans, they they wanted to play Port. They don't want to play this Giants team. And, you know, you, you might disagree, and I don't necessarily think I agree with this, but you could make the case that the Giants have right now, going into this game, pound for pound, the best defender in Sam Taylor, the best forward in Toby Green, the best Ruckman and Kieran Briggs and I mean you throw a blanket over a few midfielders but what Tom
1: Green's produced so far he's in the finals he's the best inside midfielder going around at the moment for me So yeah
0: it's like do they have the best of all the four most important things team yeah that's very interesting so should Pies fans be worried Again yes. I think yeah. oh, I'm asking
2: Christian I, I, this time. I think
1: they do and again you you talk about last time they played was round 9 it was a long time ago it was 120 Collingwood to 55 GWS but you've seen from the previous two finals it hasn't mattered it was about a 30 40 point turnaround uh, from their St Kilda result that they were able to turn in and win the elimination final and I think it was about a 70 point turnover from the last and they only played Port in round 22 um, lost by 40 and then come out this weekend so you think it's a it's a big turnaround from where they last played but again all of their changes that come from round 13 onwards, the, you know, that, that's where they've played their best footy. So you take the round right now and game out of it, and just looking at that game, it was same amount of disposals in that game. Two more inside 50s for Collingwood. So we've spoken about Collingwood being that team that sort of does take their opportunity and and scores. You know, number one for scoring a goal per inside 50 and in really high accuracy. GWS is second for scoring a goal per inside 50 um, across the last six or seven weeks. They so can stack it up with Collingwood, but. Yeah, the last time they played, 29 tackles for GWS and, and their lowest pressure factor in any in, in any game, 157. So you can, you can bet that's going to be, again, I think they've totally done really different well. team. Yeah, but I think they've done really well to learn from their past mistakes. I reckon they'll go back and look at the Collingwood game, say so we had the same amount of disposals or, you know, uh, one fewer disposal than Collingwood. So we had our chance, we got the ball, but when Collingwood had the ball, we just put no pressure on them and allowed them to sort of do what they want, so pressure will be a main uh mainstay in this one but again looking at rounds 20 onwards uh rounds 20 to 26 gws basically have their nose in front for you know comparing these two teams points for first versus fifth points against seventh versus tenth so gws's way uh inside 50s i mean collingwood are are generating the fewest inside 50s of any team uh, since round 20 and gws are the second most inside 50s of any team so um, as I said, score per inside 50, Collingwood's got them a little bit. They're second best at scoring per inside 50, GWS are ninth, but a goal because of accuracy, GWS go to sev- uh, second and, and Collingwood first. But again, I would look at that last game and say, yeah, we're a totally different team now, but we, we were able to win the ball, get our hands to the ball first. We just got to make it harder for Collingwood. We've got to put the pressure on. And it has been one of Collingwood's strength this year. They out-pressure their opposition. They're really, really good at putting pressure on when you get the ball. Mm. When they get the ball, they break into space. It's something GWS have really locked down and, and, and don't allow teams to do in the last six or seven weeks.
0: I think the one little area of concern or worry, because I think we all agree it's going be this is going to be a close game, Collingwood, GWS. But regardless of who you think is going to win, I, I don't think we necessarily think this one will be a blowout. Um. So, if it's going to be a tight game, the Giants haven't really been in a... They haven't won a kind of close game for a while. So, obviously, the St. Kilda and Port Adelaide, the two finals, the margins were 24 and 23. They were, they were well in control. They were never in doubt in either of those games. The final round of the season, they played Carlton in that game where they had to get in. And after halftime, it was just a non-contest. Carlton had nothing to play for. The week before that was the Essendon game where they won by 21 goals. Then they lost to Port and Sydney the two weeks before that. So you've got to go back to the Bulldogs round 20, which will be eight weeks ago, where they won a tight game. Is that any kind of
1: concern or, or not really? Not For me, not really. I mean, it's probably because they've been so dominant. So you look at it the other way and you look at three-quarter time comeback. So, you know, behind at three-quarter time and, and still able to come back and win the game. So we know how many times, you know, Collingwood's done it the last two years. They're both sitting this year... Uh, come back from three-quarter time and one. Yeah, both done it five times this year, which is the most in the competition. Yeah. So I think um, GWS hadn't, hadn't done it under Leon Cameron for two years. I think for the last two yeah. years pre- previously, um, they might have had one three-quarter time comeback, but basically it was done and dusted if they were behind at three-quarter time. Now they're, they've they taken the Collingwood mantle of, okay, we're never out of this game. We can come and, and, and sort of turn the game around in the, in the final quarter and even earlier in the year they were the one team I think Sydney were the first to get to 100 points in one of their games which is Matt's favourite stat of you know first to 100 and usually win (laughs) GWS are able to sort of win that game from you know uh, from coming from behind and they've had that game where they beat Melbourne with you know 30 fewer inside 50s and everything was going against them but they still finished with the 4 points so yeah might not have happened in recent weeks but I don't think I think they've shown that they're a a workhorse team. They're not great in first quarters. They work their way into games. Um, and the other interesting one is they they work their way into quarters. I think zero to ten minute mark of quarters, they're pretty even in with teams. But across the, from the time on period twenty minute mark onwards, they're one of the best for outscoring their opposition. So they do. They 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 continually sort of get better as the game gets on.
0: Most important player on the ground, probably going to be Toby Green in terms of the impact he has. Can it
1: lead to winning? I like the name Kieran Briggs that you threw up before. (laughs) Just because of Collingwood's... And again, Collingwood have been able to do it. They've finished top of the ladder without a recognised Ruckman. They do it quite well. But again, he just gives you that extra ability to win a contested yeah. possession in the middle and get first hands to it. So you got your all your clear obvious Sam Taylor best defender Toby Green yeah. needs to kick goals, but Kieran Briggs just to be able to play as that extra midfield and get that. Yeah, no,
0: I I agree. Hang on, because my my train of thought got hijacked. But <laughs> but Toby Green, so so he didn't play against Collingwood earlier in the year. He he missed through injury. So you got to go back to round fifteen last year when he when he played against the the Pies last. Who do you reckon Spent the most time on him As a defender Christian told me this earlier well, So he so he can't answer I think um, on AFL No on the couch I think they were saying That it was Isaac Quainer It was Nick Dacos uh. So it's not going to be Dacos Spending any time on him uh, This time around Maynard How, Noble Murphy They all Spent time on him. Quaynor had played on him the the game before Pretty when he kicked, he kicked five on him in that in that time. Yeah. So, who, so I think in
1: that game it was five on Quaynor in about fifty minutes, and they moved Maynard on him for thirty minutes, and he didn't kick yeah. a goal. He he hasn't kicked a goal. I think he's kicked one goal on Maynard in his first in his last three or four games against him. But Maynard's only had him for about thirty percent of the So so is time.
0: it a, is it the same sort of philosophy where we throw six different players at him, or do you just same Maynard from is the start. Yours. I think you got to go with Maynard. I think
2: he's an agitator, and and Green can well, get so agitated. They're, they're
0: and both agitators. I
2: know it's like um like the polar opposites of the magnets. The magnets. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: that'll be that'll um, be um a few scraps going on there. Uh,
2: I think so. Uh yeah, I think you got to send in there straight away and mm. just sort of say, you know, we know that this is your weakness, and and you couldn't score on this guy last time. We're we're gonna we're gonna try and clamp you from the start. Yep. The other question I have is the lack of match fitness for Nick Dakos. So he'll have been out for at least a month and. Um, you know, there's a reason that Carlton didn't bring in Jack Silvani last week because cause he doesn't have match fitness. And there's a reason that that, that players who haven't been in the squad I agree, but a, if
0: there's a player that even at 90%, to... I mean, we've seen some of the some of his running in the last five minutes of games is yeah. extraordinary. He's just sprinting 100 metres when players can't go. So even if he's at 85 90%, Non-factor. He, he's still going to be as good, if not better, than most players on the ground. So I don't, I'm don't, i not necessarily worried about that.
2: Uh, before we move on, a
0: tip and a margin? Um, I'm going to go the Pies I'm going to go the Pies by 8 points I think it will be a close game I don't think it'll ever get I don't think anyone will lead by sort of 20 at any point I think it'll be a close game Um, and I think it'll be the better of the preliminary finals we always have one great one and one poor one don't we
1: it always feels like that Yeah, I, I think you've got the exact same tip as me Collingwood by about 8 to 10 points for me as well I would Again, want to say GWS, and I'd love to see them in the grand final, the way they're playing. But uh, again, it's it's Collingwood-Brisbane is the grand final that we should, probably should deserve have. and should yeah. have. Uh, yeah, I think
2: the Pies just maybe 10 to 15 points. Um, so pretty pretty similar along those lines. We're getting into red time of this podcast brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for Is the Hype Justified? Or is it hyperbole? Jake, naming the Premiership Cup after Ron Barassi
0: would be a great Tribute. I think it would be a fantastic tribute, and I think the AFL should do it. They're looking at that as we speak. My only, oh, I don't know if you'd call it a gripe, but I, I I don't like how we have to wait for someone to pass to do this. Good point. Um, I'd love to see the legends of the game, and, and I know don't, you I don't use that term flippantly, the actual Hall of Fame legend, the icons, get recognised when they're alive. Um, I don't know why we don't do that. So the Great Southern Stand
2: was the Great Southern Stand for many years, and you wonder why the Great Southern. It doesn't. It's, it's not does significant, it uh, and 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 unfortunately for someone like Shane Warne, um, the late Shane Warne, he will never he'd never live to see that He'll that ne- tribute, which was so fitting. Yeah. Um, and
0: then you look at well other stands at the MCG currently. There's one. There, just called the Olympic stand. Was it you? Someone told me this morning that the MCD does not have a stand, which I guess is true. It doesn't have a stand named after a footy player. Yeah, one of the other guys in the office which definitely is, said that. Um, so Bill Ponsford is obviously one of the other stands.
2: But yeah. the Olympic stand, I feel like that could be, that could be renamed. Um, other things that have been thrown up have been the premiership medals uh, being named after Barassi. So, you, you know, you've got a Ron around your neck or something like that. The premi- So what, each medal? I haven't heard That's that. Yeah, I, well, I heard that somewhere. What each, me- that somewhere. each medal is a different name? No, no, no. It's the same name. You get the Ron Barassi Medal for winning oh, a premiership.
0: Okay. Uh, I think the cup's better. I don't think the medal needs a name. Fair enough. Uh, Port were too quick to re-sign Ken Hinckley. For me, again, um, no, no, they weren't. They Port look Port had a great season. I don't think you can look at the the like, despite what I said before about they after Carlton snapped their streak. They weren't the same team. Finished top. I think four. that was qu- quite clear. We, we look at the defi- We know. The good thing with Port is we know what the issue is. Christian just identified it before. It's obvious. Everyone knows that they, it was the back line that was letting them down, whether we can sort of say, well, the lack of work from the midfield or the structure or whatever. But the reality is they're conceding way too much. If they can address that in the offseason and they come back, are you, going to be, are you going to expect them to be around the mark again, top four team? I think
1: most people would. Yes,
0: agreed. Uh, Christian, despite what the AFL might say publicly,
1: AFL house is barracking for a Collingwood-Carlton grand final. <laughs> They'd have to be, wouldn't they? I mean, even the figures that came out, again, you you can't help where it's be, being played, and even if Brisbane makes it, we're not going to play in Brisbane. But the the jarring figure for me was the first week of finals where Brisbane was a sellout, and I think it was 39,000 yes. at the Gabba. So I know we're going to get 100,000 either way, but 100,000 Carlton and Collingwood supporters in 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 at the MCG and grand the rest final, of the precincts. They must, must have the AFL licking their lips compared to a possibility of Brisbane GWS maybe playing on grand final day again. So if Brisbane and GWS get there, they deserve to get there. But you're not going to have the same sort of yeah. you're not going to have the the 7-day build up of the historical fanfare. I think all the newspapers will probably see Carlton Collingwood grand finals played <laughs> and free to air all week long. So it'll be something the AFL's barracking for, but as I said footy fans that have watched footy for long enough you should be barracking for Brisbane and Collingwood to be in the grand final that they're the two best teams and that's who I want to see yes. playing off Hey, I'm sorry <laughs> to say it yeah uh,
2: any of questions before we get going you can get to us at footy Tips on Twitter
0: yeah I got one here from a friend of mine shout out to Jeremy he's asked uh, when's the last time both of the top four teams lost their semi
1: yeah, so the last time it happened was 2014. Uh, Geelong and Sydney both finished similar to this year, third and fourth. Geelong and, both... and Freo, I think it is. Oh, sorry, here. Geelong and Freo. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, in 2014, so um, I hadn't seen, I couldn't see it happening before 2000. Before that, and we again, we haven't had a top eight much longer than that. So it might have been the only time it's happened before. So
0: I, I would have thought it might happen a couple of times, but yeah, only once in 20 what three years? It's yeah. There you go. Uh, If you want to ask us
2: questions, at Footy Tips on Twitter is where you'll find us. We'll take any questions you have, comments, feedback, cane corns. Concerns. (laughs) uh, Let us know. Christian, good to speak with you. Jake, another week rolls on and we'll uh, speak to you. Brownlow. Brownlow. Yeah, so Thursday, we're going to be recording that one shortly and that'll drop on Thursday. Uh, So if you want to get a bit of insight from uh, both Champion Data and from Jake Michaels and his... um, his predictor which you can find at ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL keep your eyes peeled for that of course the girls are doing the AFLW podcast getting some great insights from uh, Imogen Evans and Isadora McClay uh, a couple of players as well on that every week so plenty happening busy month September busy month
0: the show rolls on Um, I'll see you up at the Gabba yes and um, I tell you what next week we can't win. This could be one of the greatest podcasts. <laughs> Time of all. you got to tune in next week. <laughs> Time to wrap it up. Uh, everyone, we will speak to you
2: in the next episode.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.